Uh, welcome back to the Paperless Featherist. I'm Justin, your contributing editor and podcast producer. And, you know, with me is uh, Carrie. And Carrie, before I introduce you, I wanted to tell you a little story. Um, Please do. And, you know, one time I was I was at a wedding and I watched the, the best man get up and he gave his speech. Uh, and it was a very probably one of the shortest speeches ever. Those are good speeches. Um, and he simply said that for those of you that were there, you know. And for those of you who weren't, well... And he just kind of shrugged, but you know, to indicate that, and you don't know, and he wasn't, he wasn't going to get into things. Um, and that's kind of, I think, would be applicable to you, you know, uh, for those of. Uh, Am I the person who knows or doesn't know? No, no, no. For for the for the people who know you, they know, and for the people, people who don't, know me do well, they, know me. they don't know, you know. Um, and so that's why I rebut that claim. It's so. hard, to, hard for me to 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 really uh, have any arguments against. It. So. Um, I will uh, say hello once again to uh, my co-host, Carrie here. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. I decided to bequeath upon myself the title of the Holy Roman Federalist. There you go. The Holy Roman Federalist. Who will unite all of this podcast under well, my uh, authority we're at gonna, some point. We're going to try and unite somehow. Um, so we wanted to say welcome to everybody who decided to tune back in. We, uh, we're about a quarter of the way through the uh, Federalist Papers now, and, and Carrie and I thought it'd be a good time to just sort of do a bonus episode. So that's today. It's going to be a little bit shorter. We're just going to be talking um, about some of our, our thoughts and asking each other a few questions and, and just seeing how things go. So this is a less, less formal uh, episode. We're not going to get into any papers today. Um, if it was less formal, I wish I would have thought about it ahead of time. I would be eating chips. You know, uh, That's what I prefer to do in these less formal episodes. Well, we, we know that. We, we know that you like to munch away. Um We'll edit the so, sound of me eating pretzels in or something. I'll see if Let's I can splice, see if I can place it, splice it in. I'm sure, we've got some stock, stock, uh, stock crunches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, like I said, we're we're about a quarter of the way through, and we thought it'd be a good time to just kind of talk and, and reflect a little bit. And, uh, uh, Carrie, what do you, you have? Anything uh, you want to jump into? Well, I have in front of me some exquisitely formatted. <laughs> And formal questions in the form of post-it notes post-it that notes. I have written random questions on. The, the glue that does not glue. It, yes. I figure <laughs> that the visuals will be less important since this is an audio-only program. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's just dive right in. We've, we've done about uh, 20 papers now. You know, we're not maybe the lay experts on this subject yet, but we've gotten some perspective. Yeah. So in, enough that we could answer some some big questions and so i'll pose i'll pose one to you just right off the bat with what we've read so far with what we've talked about so far should people even bother to read the federalist papers i know that sounds crazy for me to ask because Mm -hmm. if the answer is no what are we even doing here (laughs) but the reason i ask it is you know when you hear, hear the federalist papers talked about they're often presented as this is if you're really serious about knowing uh, what American demo- democracy and the Constitution is all about. The Federalist Papers are sort of your must-read guide, you, and, and they're the authority on what the, fe- the Founding Fathers were thinking. We've gone through about 20. Mm-hmm. The, if, for people who care about America and want to know more about it, if you were to go out to them, would you, would you say to anyone, you need to sit down and you need to read cover to cover, 1 to 84... If you want to hope to understand anything about America, would you would you be a would you be a Federalist paper peddler? Would I be a Federalist paper with peddler? what we've read so far? Yes. No, I understand the question. Um, well, my first response would be 
Uh, no, in the sense that all they have to do is listen to our podcast. They don't need. They don't need. Touche. <laughs> but okay. say we're living in some dark alternative universe where our podcast doesn't exist. The bizarre world. The bizarre world. They, they can't find it. There are no interwebs or, or, or maybe not the bizarre world. That would just be there. Would be we. We would be doing an anti-federalist podcast yeah, in, in that true. bizarre You're world. Right. Um, just, just a dark universe a dark where we're universe, not available. There's no internet. Uh, mm-hmm. No podcast. Um, oblique world. Oblique. Oblique world. Uh, maybe a confederacy where where <laughs> where we don't have the uni- the unity and the power that comes to come fe- together federal and government. form this yeah. podcast um, and things yeah like the FCC to regulate the uh, yeah we're doing purely defensive internet. podcasting okay like a lot of the weak confederacies all right um, all joking aside yes I would still say that you need to read them simply because like anything I, I'm a big believer that knowledge is power and that when you are subject to Having to have someone else tell you what something is, as opposed to taking the time to learn it yourself, uh, you are weaker. So, um, if you want to understand something, the best place to start is to go sit down and read and learn, mm-hmm. and then try to digest and think about it. Uh, and so, that in many ways is why I first approached you about this. Is I wanted to do because I got tired of being told what the Federalist Papers were and what they should meant and, and, and what I should think about them, and I decided, no, you know what? The appropriation of the Federalist Papers. Yes. Or the small portions that get appropriated. The Cliff Notes versions. I don't even qualify as Cliff Notes. I mean, they're like, you know, there's a the couple... The posted par- Cliff Notes yes. versions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the couple paragraphs that get quoted out of 86 papers on a yeah, regular basis. Yeah, it's true, it's true. Um, and I just decided, well, I really wanted to take the time to read and, and to kind of go through and think about it and have somebody to go through, and that's why, you know, I approached you to do it. Um, Which I appreciate. And I appreciate you doing it because you've helped bring a lot of insight that I might not have thought of. Um, and I thought the podcast would be a fun way to do it because it'd be something different. And maybe other people would, would listen to it and they might listen to this as it, where they wouldn't read uh, the papers uh, themselves. Um, and while I still advocate reading the papers uh, and, and learning things and thinking about things yourselves – this hopefully is at least some method to help some people break the ice and break through the barriers and, and, and spark an interest that they'll go and follow up on, hopefully. I don't know. Uh, at a minimum, even if nobody's listening, I'm having fun talking about it with you because – Oh, and my, you know, I'm enjoying um, reviewing them also. The, uh, it, gives me, it gives me an opportunity to, to, to learn for myself, um, which I've always been a fan of and, and I think anybody should, should do as opposed to being told what something is. Go and learn it themselves. So um, that's my thought. What do you think? See, I, I'm glad we're doing the podcast as well, and I echo a lot of the thoughts that uh, you expressed about uh, being glad that we're doing this. That said, at this point in time right now, I might be experiencing a slight crisis of faith. And like, if, if, if right now, I, I wouldn't go around telling people, you've got to read the Federalist Papers, all 84 of them, if you want to really understand the Constitution. Well, you're burnt out on those ancient Greek and Roman references. That might be it. Because <laughs> that, 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 before we started doing that, you know, the, my focus on the ones I'd heard about were the popular ones that really talk about yeah. aspects of the Constitution and how they're going to be, get, you know, how, how they're going to be applied. And before we started into this reading every single one, I thought that that was going to be the real meat and the substance of what we're doing. And I've been sort of surprised by how much time and effort that Hamilton, Madison, and Jay spend talking about things that I think are more peripheral 
and even worse, things that aren't really as applicable to what we're doing today. They were sort of, they're important then, but less important mm-hmm. now. Um, I certainly don't, I, and maybe my opinion will change as we go into the future papers that I think are going to focus more heavily on those aspects. But at this point in time, compared to other documents mm-hmm. that I think you know have a meaning now, like an example... I would say is Tocqueville's Democracy in America that sort of produced, presents this image of what it means quintessentially to be an American. Okay. Or Madison's notes about the debates and the compromises and the progress of the Constitutional Convention and how they got to the Constitution. So I've not read that either. Maybe it's that... very, very good. Uh, very worth reading. I'll give you a copy of a book I got here before you leave today. Yeah. But uh, that tells me... Here's what the Founding Fathers were trying to do, and here's what the compromises, why they came about in forming the Constitution. Right now, I don't feel the same impact of the papers we've read to date. A lot of them have been more unique to that period of time. Yeah, well, maybe that's part of... Because so few people uh, really understand the Federalist Papers at this point, it has become believed to be that the Federalist Papers are a quintessential to, the, the body to understand why the Constitution was written the way it was. Mm-hmm. And if you really go through it, you might come to the conclusion, like, wait a minute, no, we we know so little about this body work at this point, we don't mm-hmm. even understand what its purpose was. You know, Perhaps. And, and, and it, so, perhaps. you know, we say, oh, Federalist Papers, that's back at that time, and so that must be part of the Constitution, and you got to read it to understand it. And like, I mean, it just doesn't know, seem like you know, st- uh, federal versus state power or or the strength of the federal government as much is as current and as pressing of an issue of national debate as it was at the time. And I feel like it wouldn't be unless and until we had some kind of constitutional convention or there was a much more serious movement than there is yeah. to, you know. And it's granted, there's, there's still the cases about yeah. federal versus state power, yeah. but it's not our front and center issue in society right now. But that being the case, I'll... I'll let you go and ask your first post-it note question. Uh, well, these are... Uh, I have you no have post-it, post-it notes? I have no post-it notes. Oh, my God. This is... I don't... I have, I have are no just, notes. These are just coming out of your head? No, or? I mean, I had a couple in my head that I thought up, and uh, yeah, but you have no way of knowing that. It's going to have to go on the honor system as to whether or not I'm telling you the truth. If it ain't on the post-it note, it ain't real. Mm. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> that should be a t-shirt or something. Um, Put it in our merch shop. Yeah. The um, I was going to ask you: Has there been anything so far that has surprised you? Mm. So, um, maybe I'll I'll answer that first. I'll let okay, go ahead. Think. That question surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was thinking: Well, one, you know, the uh, lack of input for Mr. J was surprising to me. Um, I'll put that out there just because I can. Um, uh-huh. uh, but in all seriousness. Um, what I felt like when I came into this that I was going to hear a unified voice and a an, an argument, um, a, a campaign of thought uh, driven towards one end, and to a degree that we've we've heard that so far. But what has been surprising is all the times we pointed out in the last several episodes about how the Hamilton and Madison will will take whatever position is. Is needed on a particular topic to drive home that day's point, and sometimes they are inconsistent from one paper to the next. Um, uh, the one that jumps out of my mind is the way in which they describes they describe the functionality of the states. 
you know, there are certain papers where they describe the states as being these well-functioning, you know, bastions of democracy that will shield the citizens from uh, being run over by this federal mm-hmm. power that they're trying to create. And other times they talk about the states being totally inept, uh, incapable of doing anything, and that the federal power is necessary lest the union fall apart because it's left to just the states. Basically, so, whatever suits their arguments best suits, of the time. Yeah, exactly. So they describe the reality to fit the argument that they that they want to make. And they kind of talk out of both sides of their mouth. And I guess I wasn't expecting that sort of... I mean, I knew it was a, a sales pitch to a degree, but I really feel like sometimes they're <laughs> saying, you know, what do I need to do to put you into this constitution today? You know, sort of <laughs> like the used, the car, used sales. car salesman <laughs> approach to government. Yeah, yeah. And, and just sort of, you know... We'll tell you what you want to hear on any one topic. You know what that makes the Bill of Rights then? Hmm. The undercarriage rust proofing okay. of the Constitution. <laughs> oh, you have a problem with individual rights? We'll just put this rust proofing coating underneath. There you go. Everything will be Everything fine. Will be you fine. want that, don't you? Yep, you want? Yep. You got to add that on. Got to got to add it on. Yeah. In the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it like that, but there you go. Take, taking that, the analogy to the nth degree. So th- I guess that was that was one of my 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 takeaway thoughts was just how how they seem to toggle back and forth and can can change their their mind on the same so topic. they're law- they're they're sort of more obvious lawyerly used car salesman approach of picking and choosing their arguments and how they present their facts is yeah. you're expecting much more the marble statesman beyond just, reproach neutral just, not just neutral but just just dedicated to one narrative you know yeah. Like, this is necessary, the Constitution has to get passed, and mm-hmm. here's why. And, you yeah. know, all the examples that support it. Yeah. But but the uh, bending reality to fit whatever yeah. micro-argument they wanted to make was... In a way was, that's maybe a little bit more obvious than what we would have expected. Would have expected, yeah. You could see the cracks that the anti-federalists um, Pick up found on. it easy to exploit. Yeah. And that's surprising. I now have an answer to this okay. question on what, right. um, what has surprised me. And I, that will lead me into my next... Posted no question for you. What has surprised me most, I think, is how the audience that they're writing for mm-hmm. seems to be different than what I would have expected it to be. Because based on what they're trying to do, in my mind, you know, they're trying to they're trying to convince basically everybody, you know, primarily people in New York, but they're presenting the arguments to. The people of all these different states. Uh, here's why you need to you need to vote for this constitution. You need to get get behind your state governments and tell them they need to do it. Put pressure on them. So their goal seems to be one of mass conversion. Uh, you want everybody behind it. And so I, from that, I sort of expected that the writing style, but also their examples and their analysis was going to be much more suited for the average colonial Joe of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, that they were going to go out there and basically give some folksy examples and some stuff easily understood by anybody and everybody. They're going to publish these things in the newspaper and just any Joe Cobbler walking down the street could pick up a newspaper, read this stuff and understand it and be like, yeah, this makes... This makes good sense. We should definitely do this. I'm going to call my colonial representative and make sure or send them a courier or something. Make mm-hmm. sure they get behind this. You know, sort of a 
Um, 18th century fireside chat approach, I guess I was expecting, to get the masked version they wanted. That being said, I don't think that's what they're doing. In reading all this stuff, I feel like, even for the time, um, and everyday newspaper readership, etc., even for the time, I feel like a lot of this writing is much more limited in scope to fairly educated and learned individuals. You know, the 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 people who deal with history and politics and statecraft a lot more. Your professionals like your merchants, your lawyers, um, people who are representatives there. I feel like it has a much smaller audience than I thought of because you know just talk about what we've been talking about the last few papers these deep dives into ancient Greek history, how the German city-states are governed, what's going on with the United Dutch. I don't think everyone knows that back then. Even though it's more contemporary to them, mm-hmm. I think a relatively small slice of people know about that stuff. And that's surprising because it seems to me that if you're trying to convert everybody, you want broad access. So that makes me turn to my next question for you, which is, I mean, do you agree that that's the intended audience? Is this small side, subset of people? Or, I mean... What, what group of people do you think that Hamilton, Jay, and Madison are writing this to? So I agree that it seems like, to a certain extent, they got into a shouting match with the Anti-Federalists. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're, they're one-upping each other with uh, historical references and, and, and whatnot. Um, but, you know, interestingly, like, to go back, to recap, in case anybody hadn't listened to the, some of the earlier episodes, and just to refresh ourselves, which they should, they, they really should. Yeah, <laughs> um, if they can handle the sound quality, I apologize. Uh, I think we finally ironed that out after nine months we of have, doing this. We have destroyed that problem. So, nine states needed to ratify the Constitution in order for it to um, take effect. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened. New Hampshire was the ninth. On June 21st, 1778, um, New York was the 11th on July 26th. Rogue Island, the last one, May 29th, 1790. The Dragging their feet. They're the caboose <laughs> of our national train. So, Constitutional um, train. But interestingly, though, right, I mean, these there were states that had already ratified this con- the Constitution mm. and were ratifying the mm-hmm. Constitution while this uh, this Federalist paper effort was, was going on. And I don't think it had the wide publication. Um, you know, one of the things that we think about in the modern culture is, you know, the, with Twitter and, and um, you know, the Internet and everything else, uh, social media, boom, some, as soon as somebody sneezes the wrong in the wrong direction, it's all over and everybody knows about it. I mean, here, you know, publications happened in, in the Independent Journal in, in New York and the other New York papers. Uh, I They were not collected into a bodied work until much later and, mm-hmm. and redistributed to other states. So yeah. I, I question how broad an influence really mm-hmm. the Federalist papers had. Yeah. In, well, especially in, in the fact that nowadays they're just seen as this in, seminal in, work. It, well, yeah, yes. And so... That's just it. People, I think now, I mean, coming into this, I thought of the Fairless Papers as this large seminal work that, that produced and really helped, you know, persuade the ratification of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, there were states that were ratifying the Constitution well. I mean, Delaware was the first, December 7, 1787. And just for, you know, point of reference here, um, paper-wise, um, 
just finished 20. We just finished 20, and 20 was... The United Dutch. United Netherlands. Okay, December 11th, 1787. All right, so by this point, on 20, you know, Delaware ratified the Constitution, Pennsylvania ratified the Constitution, and New Jersey had already ratified the Constitution. So, I, you know... And that's only a quarter of the way into it. Yeah. Into what would eventually become the body, the bodied work. Yeah. And and the Constitution, nine the nine states had ratified the Constitution. Uh, New Hampshire was the ninth on June twenty first, seventeen seventy eight, and and they kept going with some additional papers after that. So I, I I, I don't know that it was published uh, to all peoples in the in the states. I know mm-hmm. it wasn't. And and so I don't think that it had the broad selling power yep. that we now think of it as having. Although, I guess counterpoint, who's the main people who cite it and use it now? Lawyers, statesmen. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we use it on ad campaigns to sell donuts or anything. No. So maybe it's always been consistent. It's it's important to the people it's always been important to. Yeah. It's, it's not really thought of by the people who've never thought of it in the first place. So, well... Well, I'll pass to you. What's your next non-post-it note question? Non-post-it note question. Um, all right, you got me. I only really had one question. <laughs> you don't even have, see. That's what happens. You don't even have post-it notes. You're out of questions. I lost track of my questions. I had I had other ones, but well, uh, sorry. Let Let's draw another one there. I'll throw out my third post-it note, which is if we were to if if we were trying to recreate the Federalist Papers today, if you and I and a random special guest sat down today and said, we are going to go, episodes. Yeah. We're going to <laughs> reboot the Federalist Papers, much like we were the J.J. Abrams of the J.J. Abrams of the Federalist Papers. Okay, well, we be- rewrite all eighty-four in the first twenty. Mm-hmm. The would pretty much talking about the examples of government they use, and examples of history. You know, the Greeks, the German Confederacy, mm-hmm. the Swiss Confederacy, etc. Are there better examples we could use today, or were the ones that they used in here that we sort of struggled a little bit with still the best examples? I mean, because that was a point that, that that's something I feel like makes it harder for a modern reader to really get the full message of the papers we've read so far is so much of them as a foundation rely on people having a certain level of knowledge about things that were well known maybe at the time, but nowadays, even intelligent people, even historically interested people, would say, uh, "I'm going to have to at least look at Wikipedia for a little while before I get back to you on that question." Mm-hmm. So, what do you think? Would we change it, or, would, or is there better examples now that people would get more to get the points more clearly, or we just had to get good and learn about the reader just has to get good and learn about what what the examples are in the book in the papers as they are i mean one example i might give i guess would be the eu would be an easier example for modern readers to see as an example of confederacy yes and its strengths and weaknesses rather than the german principalities and let me yes and 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 Literally, it's actually I'm look- a great example. I'm looking it up right now. On Aha! My iPad. All right, I cut um, you off. You did cut me off because the the reason why the EU is so important is as an example. But again, the average reader would run into mm-hmm. the same problems that like we run into now when we're talking about German principalities and and, and you know uh, ancient Greek. Right? You have to know. 
about the thing being referenced in order to understand the references. But you're more likely to know. A modern person who follows the news and whatnot is more likely to know a little bit about the EU than yes. they are about German what, principalities. What, what, what if I say EU do, what springs to mind? Probably what some different than most people, I think, of the European coal and steel community. Okay, all right. <laughs> but you still think of it... I think of an economic alliance. As an That's economic what, alliance. I, I That's think so. Yeah. Yes. And, and what you don't think about is the other governmental functions of the EU and the... Uh, what, they like hand out certificates to people or something? No, or? and see, this is... <laughs> I, I really wish I had a... They attempted, and it, I think, I believe it failed... Um, yeah. Oh, they attempted something and it failed? That's about the most EU-ish thing I could imagine happening <laughs> in the government sphere. Uh, so I had a... We attempted to send troops a decade ago, miles over the listen, border. So that failed. A decade ago when I was in law school, um, so you know, in, in, in 2006 and 2007, I had a, a European Union... A couple European Union classes, okay. and at the time, I they were they were pushing towards they were on the cusp of getting to the point where they were going to have to eventually address the very thing that the, the <laughs> again. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's the most EUish thing you said. They were getting to the point where they're almost on the cusp of maybe doing something. <laughs> hold on now, hold on. You have brought your EUness with you to this podcast. We're almost to the point where we may have to consider thinking about doing something. So, you can just stamp that EU and call it a day. No, let me let me finish. All right, please do. I, I love how you're you channel the EU so well. All right. So at the time, they got to the point where they were getting very much like the states were at the time with under the Articles of Confederation, where they were these separate sovereigns, mm-hmm. and and they were forced with the question, faced with the question of do we turn left and stay sort of a confederacy with separate sovereigns or do we really give ourselves over to this federal mm-hmm. body okay yeah. and obviously the United States went about of the Constitution yeah. and 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 central stronger central federalized power the EU at the time was looking towards and they were drafting uh, essentially a similar thing where it was going to require the member states to then submit to a a, a federal authority. That's, That's been their, their central debate. They're, the and British so, always wanted to make it broader but shallower. So, so the French wanted to make it narrower but deeper. And so they they tried, and um, I think it was the I don't know which treaty it was there in the last several years. They tried to get it to pass, and it did not. Uh, it did not go well, and it did not get enough. They they chose to stay the Confederacy route mm-hmm. ultimately okay. because, like the example, um, the examples of, that we've looked at. The different member states have different interests. Yes. The British, when they were, and so now you see even dedicated to you, right, with they did right. not want yeah. it to be much deeper. They just wanted to be bigger. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So they they were. I think the EU, to answer your question, the European Union, I think it serves as a, a very good example of uh, one that you would we'd be citing to a lot. Oh um, yeah, the, you know it has almost um, all of the uh, so many of the factors that Hamilton and Madison and Jay. Have focused on regarding mm-hmm. strengths and weaknesses of confederacy. So confederacies, you know, it's almost shocking they didn't choose to write about it. <laughs> Except that it was. You know, it's two, a massive oversight. It almost away. undermines everything else in Come the papers on. themselves. <laughs> but right. even besides the EU, yeah, um, you know, there are other examples I think you could cite too that have been sort of side effects of the Cold War that maybe are not so much. True confederacies, but different alliance structures that have been formed. You know, you've got NATO, uh, the Warsaw yeah. Pact, um, yeah. 
the, uh, the Organization of American States. Um, mm-hmm. That I think there's a wealth of things we could cite to nowadays. That yeah, not every Tom, Dick, and Harry might have a, a real deep analysis of them or deep knowledge of them initially, but they would know what they would have heard of them, mm-hmm. and it would be we had to we wouldn't have to spend as much time now establishing a foundation before we start analyzing well, do you the think, strength of the argument. Do you think that, I mean, it's kind of hard to know what the knowledge base of the average person was in the 1780s. I mean, are the references that Hamilton and Madison and Jay are referencing so completely foreign to the average reader, do you think? Do you, I mean, do you think the references are more foreign to the average reader then, as opposed to if we were doing it today using, you know, NATO and the EU, that the average person say, "Oh yeah, I know what that is." And I feel, I like, honestly feel that they're about analogous level of knowledge as far as like, just like I think that the average American now would have heard of the European Union yeah. and basically have the idea it's an economic alliance of some sort. Mm-hmm. I think the average American back then would, would have known the that Ger- there is these German, German states, yeah. and they're always fighting amongst each other. Because you've in other things I've read. You'll see dropped in now and again references of how the German states are always like fighting amongst themselves. I don't think, you know, and that might be the extent of common knowledge about it, but I think they would have that level of knowledge. But the average American now, 200 years later, frankly, if you say Germany to the average American now, they don't think about a squabbling assembly of states that don't get along. They'll think of either a strong economic giant in Europe. Or they'll think of a military power from the 19th, from the 20th century as you know this strong unified military power. If you say Germany now, squabbling substates, it's not the first impression someone gets in their mind. I don't think. Hmm. So you, we have to spend longer as a reader now, putting ourselves in that mindset of thinking about Germany as the, as the Holy Roman Empire, as these squabbling substates that. They would just take it as a given back then in the pre-Bismarck German era, I guess. That's my thinking. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that I think that's a fair analysis, though. I, I think the EU example I'm sorry, is a very good one. Let's uh, so uh, stretching and reaching back. So yeah, and they started to work on a treaty establishing the Constitution for Europe. Okay, in, uh-huh. after the two thousands, um, and then a lot of the member states. Actually, the majority of the member states are ratified, but it was abandoned after being rejected by French voters mm-hmm. uh, and also Dutch voters. And mm-hmm. then after a period of reflection, uh, many of the member states maintained the existing treaties of the EU and sort of patchworked in some things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but, but there was that rejection of a solidified constitution of Europe, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and I... That happened after I got out of law school, and so yeah. when I was in law school, I remember being in law school. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're gonna like, you know, it's trending in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they rejected the Constitution of Europe. Brexit has now happened, or mm-hmm. is happening, uh, I guess, to a degree still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so I don't know. We'll see where where things go. But it does. The EU generally seems to echo the trend that we've seen and talked about in in the Confederacies talked about in the Federalist Papers in that. It seems to be in the news and more discussed, and there's more motivation moving it forward mm-hmm. to the, the greater extent that the 
European states feel that there's an outside threat. Mm -hmm. But equally, there are some serious internal issues that they don't seem to be anywhere near to addressing the standard way. And the first one that pops to mind right now in the context of what's been going on in world economics is just how they control their monetary policy. Mm Because there's a, a very clear divide there between a group of nations who tend to prefer the German banking and currency model of tight money, low inflation, um, conservative uh, management, and there's other states who prefer a lot more flexibility, looser monetary policy. And I feel like if they can't even address that issue about how they handle their common monetary policy, then I don't see a United States of Europe anytime soon. You know, and the other thing that I just think is a central roadblock is the, the individual identities of the different member states of the European Union. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they don't even share a common language. Well, okay. yeah, but they're so so different culturally. Yeah, exactly. Compared to the difference, compared to the differences of the states of yeah. the of, of of the thirteen states that first formed the union here. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that I agree with John Jay's rivers and hams and homo- homogeny. I'm, However, I'm, I'm with them on that. I am going to suggest that the differences between the states were not as vast as the differences between the European Union member states in trying to form a, you know, and so they, we didn't have quite the hurdles to overcome that, that the European Union member states do or did when attempting to formulate a constitution. So, and I think that harkens back to a point we discussed yeah. in paper 19 where we talked about are there cultural aspects to the German lack of unity in its substates mm-hmm. That didn't exist in America. And I think that's a, a, a very cogent point. So, But let's move on to our next question. <laughs> okay. Uh, I would note that I've asked some questions recently that were not written on post notes. I've worked them in organically into the conversation. But if you have another post-it note question, fire away. The, the only <laughs> real questions are post-it note questions. Okay. All right. I don't even have any post-it fake, notes to write on. <laughs> fake questions <laughs> are not accepted. Okay. Um, well, I, I just wanted to touch on... Uh, something we discussed a little bit in the context of papers uh, 18, 19, and 20. Okay. Uh, when in looking at these various confederacies, Hamilton sort of takes it as a given that more centralization, more federal power is always is a great thing. We should always be pushing more heavily for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were discussing a little bit of a counterpoint about some of the Downsides that come with the central government having so much power and being able to mm-hmm. act so decisively. Mm-hmm. With a benefit of hindsight, you know, could it be said that the strength of the Constitution allowed America to maybe overshoot a little bit on centralization? Um, even based on where the Federalists would have liked. You know, it, it, you know even, even the most ardent Federalists uh, like Madison, Hamilton, Jay... Mm-hmm. Don't don't seem to be promoting this idea of having this federal power that could be anywhere at any time, doing anything. Yeah, have we no, overshot it? We've we gotten to the golden point. We've gotten to the uh, well, that's, perfection point. Um, that's sort of a I'm, anyway. Anybody who's listening to this, I'm sure, has their own opinion on that. Of course, um, I guess I would say, and I think I've said this in other episodes. You know, user error, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing about the Constitution is it is allowed. It is a breathing, a living, breathing document, and is able to mold to be able to be molded 
to um, but but the key there is only it's supposed to only be molded in certain ways um, and the and, right ways that and, people and, know are and, right. <laughs> and it's hard to mold, right? It's not like yeah. a body of statutes where you can just, you know, change it overnight. Or um, it's it's meant to be resolute uh, in, in in many ways. So the, the, the answer to your question, I don't hear Madison Jay and Hamilton advocating, you know, colonial America and running around and setting up, you know, colonies mm-hmm. around the globe in yeah. these papers. Uh, They're fact, not into the whole manifest destiny thing. I, I don't. I don't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, did we overshoot? Well, you know, if we did, it's only because we allowed the overshoot to happen, not because I think the document itself is flawed. Yeah, it, but the, doc, the document allows for a lot of interpretation. I guess what I'm my... So, you know what I mean? Like, I guess yeah. it's, it's not... I don't think there's a, there's a problem per se with the document. I think it's maybe just how it's used. In much the same way, like the Constitution doesn't kill people; people kill people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, a, you know, a great example <laughs> I would like you to address is like a few papers back. They talked about. I mean, I was going to the about states st- don't need to worry about yeah. because about losing their power because all of the criminal and civil law is going to be focused on their level of government. But now you look at like federal drug policy. A bunch of federal, a large body of federal law determining these are federal crimes, not just state crimes. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think even Madison and Hamilton and Jay would feel like, oh, oh I don't know. That's that, that's a different question. Would Madison, Hamilton, and Jay view the current level of federal power as being more than what they had intended? Mm-hmm. Is different than I think your original question and overshooting. Uh, which is just generally have we overshot? Yeah, uh, and is the constitution Fair point. flawed? Fair point. Flawed for having allowed for overshooting to occur. Um, so now to the latter question of would these three guys, you know, think that we've gone too far? Um, I don't know. I think Madison would just say, "Well, that's fixed for that. It's just to have more states, broaden broaden the reach of, the, of my of <laughs> the my British system." EU answer. Okay. You know, yeah. um, you know, because Madison was like, "Hey, it's the it's the diffusion of power through yeah. all levels of government that will prevent." Harking back to that paper about the yeah. diffusing lots of sub interests, lots fighting. of sub interests, and that will that will prevent um, any one faction from like you know running and destroying opposing viewpoints. But and I can't so, have any faith in that because it didn't work in Germany in that, in paper nineteen where they talked about the the regional oversight groups that was going to. Form these blocks of power. But Madison's whole point was that the additional member states would, would diffuse uh, the interest and the power would be diffused more so and it would prevent uh, anything going over by factions. So, you know, he, he was very much in, in with the diffusing of power or diffusing of uh, power across different layers of government to prevent factions from destroying the whole thing. But, I, yeah. I don't disagree with you on how you characterize uh the position of the Federalists as far as countering federal power with interests at lower levels. Um, but I, I guess, uh, you know, not to revisit that whole paper, but I, I don't know. I think there's a fair point to be made that, uh, that maybe there's been an overshoot. And once, you know, with all that power given away to the federal level, I it would be hard to see. I think it would take pretty, something pretty extreme. Yeah. 
to dial it back or redistribute the power back down to the states again. I think that yeah. <laughs> once that power is once that power has been given up to the higher level, um, well, much I, I like, don't see it being devolved back downwards again. Much easily. like the smaller uh, portion of a confederacy, and, and these examples we've been reading recently, where they brought in an external power to help them out in a war. You uh-huh. know, that once the big big bad external power came in to help. Mm-hmm. The smaller portion of the Confederacy, they didn't leave. Yeah, you know, they didn't. They didn't give the power back. Once you bring the bull into the China, China shop, it's going to rampage. It is going to rampage, and you know, you once you give power over, it's yeah. hard to get. You know, can I have my power back, please? Exactly. No, you can't. No, exactly. <laughs> so, um, Whether it be inviting Sweden to settle your Germanic disputes, or yeah. inviting Philip and his mastodons in <laughs> to help you against your fellow Greek city states. <laughs> Those elephants, they gotta be fed. They gotta be fed. They gotta be fed. So hungry beasts. They are. Um, well, I think that maybe yeah. we do one last question. All right, fire away. I'm and, post-it noteless, so I think you've just got. I was gonna try to hand it over to you. Um, All right, but I do have two remaining post-it notes, and I will pick a random one. And I think what I'm gonna pick is. I am, and admittedly, it might be too early to answer this question, but I'm going right. to ask it. Okay. And we maybe we can revisit it down the road. Echoing our first question of this episode, are the Federalist Papers really the key, or the best key even, to understanding what the Constitution means? I mean, if if you if someone came to you who was just like, Said, oh, you know, hey, you're Justin. I understand that you are somebody who is really big into constitutional history. Uh, I don't know a lot about it, but I really have just got an interest for understanding, you know, mm-hmm. what the founding fathers meant when they wrote Article One, Article Two, Article Two, Article Three, etc. Where should I start? Would you, know, would you say the Federalist Papers or no? Or no? What would no. you? Okay, but, but it's expand it's, on that. It's because of the function of the Constitution itself. If you ask me today, like how, how do I understand the Constitution? I mean, your, your your question to me sounded like multiple questions compounded, and I, I mean this: if it's the question of how do I understand the Constitution, yeah, as we sit here today in 2018, then I would say get the most recent edition of a con law book. And sit down and start reading because the Constitution oh, itself answer it just pains me. is not <laughs> just the document. Yeah. It's the document and how it's been applied and interpreted mm-hmm. to different fact patterns to understand and in constitutional law that is that has developed from it. That's yeah. that's our Constitution today. It's not the same, which is not the same Constitution yeah. that Hamilton, Madison, Jay were advocating because by definition that was just the one document. It had not been interpreted or applied. To anything yet it was it was considered to be being ratified so you know the document that had us madison john jay and hamilton had was a very um i don't want to say infantile um uh it was it was very um like uh, it's the origin story of us so to speak uh-huh. in, in a way you know like uh it it hadn't yet had life breathed into it yeah and so you know they were they were and and then to try to understand what they were thinking. I think the notes that you mentioned to was it Madison's notes from yes the ratification yes those would be a good thing a place I think to read and try to understand what maybe some of the founding fathers were thinking of mm. at the time. Yeah. But you know, I think interestingly, 
you know, one of the uh, first things that the Supreme Court that has been set up under this Constitution mm-hmm. had to deal with yeah. was what was the scope of their authority to be able to do? What was the scope of their authority, right? So, and there you go, Marbury versus Madison, yeah. where the Supreme Court just said, mm-hmm. of course we have the ability to issue a decision and and have it be law and, and, and have the force and effect that we think it should have uh-huh. to suggest otherwise is ridiculous. And it goes and they give this big, okay. long, you know, historical, you know, like how courts have operated through our, you know, ancestral, uh, political ancestral uh, lineage. And, so it wasn't okay. just Hamilton who loves the deep dives on ancient history. Oh, what are you suggesting that I do? Is that <laughs> No, I'm oh, saying that the, oh. the, the, you're, you know, so, the Marbury versus Madison uh, uh, sketch you're making here. So, talking about it, it itself yeah. is doing a backstory. Yes. So, so, but in order to understand what does the Constitution mean, I guess you know my my answer would be that I think that if you want to answer that question, you need to understand not only the document but then how it's been applied to the various the things it's been applied to and and how it's been interpreted and how that interpretation has changed. And so, what it means today is not what it meant then, and mm. it's not what it's going to mean. 200 years from now, assuming it's still around, mm-hmm. to whatever people are, are are living. It's what it means to us currently. So I, I guess I would say, you know, what does it mean to – what what at what point do you want to understand the Constitution? Yeah. And much to my chagrin, I, I think I'm going to have to conclude uh, by agreeing with you here. Yes. Is that <laughs> I would give it about the same answer. I, I don't think that the Federalist Papers – at least what we've read so far would be my starting point of what were the founding fathers thinking when they wrote Article One, Provision X. I think I would start with contemporary accounts that any accounts I could get of mm-hmm. the deliberations, conversations, and the proceedings that took place to draft the Constitution mm-hmm. um, as the starting point to see what they didn't do yeah. as an example of what they were intending. I know, but, that, and I think that the Federalist Papers yeah. end up being there. Once you get past that, the Federalist Papers are great context to see what the what the background conversation was going on that mm-hmm. led them to reach those conclusions. Even though the Federalist Papers came later, mm-hmm. I think it's a window into what all of these individuals were thinking about, looking about, reading about, and discussing. A little bit earlier, it is. when they drafted the Constitution. So I would, I guess, I would say the Federalist Papers are, are, in order to understand what was happening at the time, I would say the Federalist Papers is one of, of many, tools in your toolkit. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there were certainly letters that were shot back and forth even before the Annapolis Convention, mm-hmm. uh, to to organize and discuss as to whether or not they should be doing this and whether or not how to go about doing it and why it was needed to be done. Yes. You know? Uh and those also would be informative. So All right. Uh, well so, I think that's a wrap. Uh you know what? I have one more question I was gonna throw out there. What? Did yeah. you did Last you minute. pull out a post it and no. write on it some nope, way? No post notes. All right. No post notes. What are you hoping to get out of the next sixty five now that we're down twenty? What, what, what's your expectations now? Move well, forward. I'll tell you what my expectation and my hope is. My expectation and hope is that, well, these first 20 have just been some crazy long prologue. <laughs> like you see on uh, like an epic sci-fi or fantasy movie where they just 
exposit for a long amount of times telling you everything that went before mm-hmm. i'm hoping it's done now and i'm yeah. hoping that these back 64 we're gonna get into that meat and potatoes that i haven't seen so far of okay everyone thinking about voting yay or nay on this constitution we're gonna break down what it means we're mm-hmm. gonna break down what would ha- how it we're gonna break down under this governing document, the different situations that are likely to happen in the country, how would they be handled under the Constitution, especially as contrasted with the Articles of Confederation that we're currently under. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like when people talk about the Federalist Papers now and the insights that it offers into American democracy and government, that is what is in people's mind and what they think they're going to get from them. Yeah. It's the idea of... It will tell you what the Founding Fathers meant when they talked about the role of the judiciary or the president or the legislature and their different operations. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm hoping for is that it's interesting as I find um, the the shenanigans of Pericles and his friends (laughs) and the statues they stole and how we're united by our commerce products and salted meats. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been fun. But I guess I'm ready for the 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 main course now. All right. Well, what about you? Um, I, I you know I came into this really just with the goal of of just learning and and so I and to make it through and we're well under our way of making it through, um, top to bottom, and I certainly have learned a good bit and I'm looking forward to continuing to learn and. Uh, continue on the journey of just sort of cracking the the nut, so to speak, and, and breaking through some of the language barriers um, that these papers present. And I don't know. I guess I don't. I, I guess I like to have a key to happiness is low expectations, right? So that yeah. is probably why I'm a lot more uh, curmudgeonly than you on a regular basis. So, you know, I go in, I'm going to go into the last 64 with. Uh, I refuse to be satisfied. With, with low expectations and figure that, you know, I'll get out of it what I can and just kind of see how it goes. And uh, I promise to keep my bag of rocks close at hand. Okay. Uh, the, I, I do want to find out what, what happened, where in the world Mr. John Jay went. That was my, my one stated goal, and I'd like to know. Um, I feel like when we get to his next and final paper, there, that that paper should begin with some sort of trumpet fanfare or something. We'll have to yeah. put that in. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, well, thanks. Hope you guys enjoyed the uh, the episode here. It was just sort of a less formal. Um, yes. Uh, obviously, because I had and no post. We will so see. Clearly it was we'll, not formal. Ne- our next episode, <laughs> we will be getting into hopefully that main course of the Federalist Papers. We shall see. We shall see. (laughs) Even our listeners, loyal as they are, can only eat so much salad and appetizers. (laughs) I mean, I love cheese sticks and potato skins as much as anybody, but eventually you got to bring out the steak. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure it's floating around out there somewhere. So I don't want it to be floating. I want it to be (laughs) sizzling on the plate. I do not want water in my steak. (laughs) Okay. Fish either. (laughs) All right, well, uh, on that note, we're going to end it and wrap it up here. Thanks for joining us again, everybody. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye.